I'm wearing a coat and tie because uh, this is my last day to get to do devotions with you this week. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have the privilege of uh, leading a celebration for the wife of one of our parishioners who, after a long battle with illness, went to be with the Lord last week, and so we're going to be having a service for her, for her here in the chapel uh, this noon. I'd appreciate it if you would pray that that would be a, a time of comfort for the family and uh, honor for the Lord. And um, I, thankfully, she was a precious sister in Christ and pointed many people to the Lord over the years. So uh, we, we just pray that the Lord will be glorified in all that's done. Um, when I was growing up, uh, I had uh, three older siblings. Uh, that's not a huge family, but we were spread out. Um, my parents, uh, knowing that dad's pastoral income was not likely to provide a great deal, decided that they wanted to have four children and that they wanted us all to go to college, and that meant they needed to space us four years apart. Literally, that was the plan. So uh, they had my oldest brother, Bill, after they'd been married a few years, and and um, he was no disappointment, brilliant guy. Uh, then four years later, they had my sister, and uh, she was just the, you know, the princess, daddy's darling daughter. And um, then four years later, they had my brother John, and more about him later. Um, then uh, four years later, mother miscarried, and then subsequently miscarried again. And then they had me. So I was born six years younger than John, 10 years younger than Joan, 14 years younger than Bill. And so in one sense, I was like an only child for a good bit of the time. Um, but I grew up knowing that God loved me, knowing that my parents loved me, but feeling repeatedly as if I had to be something of a letdown after our oldest brother. Now, my middle brother, John, just decided that, you know, he was not going to compete because there really was no competing, so he just absolutely became the wild prodigal. And um, God mercifully redeemed him, drew him back, and uh, God has used him over the years uh, to reach many, many people for Christ and to teach and disciple many people. Uh, he retired uh, when he reached 70, and um, took care of his wife as she was dying. And then uh, after she had gone to be with the Lord, and he was um, saying, okay, God, what's next? Uh, he had a call to come and be the interim pastor of a church up in Maryland, which is where he is right now. So uh, he's a pastor of a church in Annapolis, that uh, went through some difficulties and wanted someone to come and help them heal. And so he's still being used by the Lord. But then there was me. Um, again, my parents made it clear that the Lord loved me. My parents made it clear that um, they loved me. But there was always that shadow of my oldest brother. I mean, he was, he was the guy that Years after he had left a school, they still talked about. 
And so when my sister came along, she was kind of the beauty queen, and she was intelligent in her own right, but she didn't have to compete with Bill. When John came along, there was such a, almost a startle response on the part of the teachers. Not because John wasn't brilliant, he actually is, but because John wasn't studious like Bill was. Bill worked so hard at getting things right that he got them right. John was like, "Eh, who cares? One of John's first moments really messing up in school, we were always taught to be respectful, to have good manners, and uh, John was, I believe, in third grade, and the teacher was a very sweet person who was up there prattling on and on at the start of the school year to try and make all the students feel, you know, like this is going to be a good experience. And my brother John turned to the kid next to him and said, I wish you'd get to the point. And the kid said, tell her. Bad idea. John raised his hand. Teacher called on him. He said, get to the point. Seconds later, he was in the hallway thinking about if he survived whatever was coming from the principal, that would mean dad got to kill him. (laughs) I mean, it was just like, you don't do that. But John did, and of course, as you might imagine, that's not the sort of thing Bill would have done. But um, John's academic career was marked more by his being a comedian than by his being a careful student, until he got to college, where he was asked by Wheaton College not to come back. Okay, After a year, they explained to him that the only reason he got to finish that first year was because his older brother was Bill. Okay, um, John then served in the military after some other detours, and And after he got out of the military, he went back to the university, University of Massachusetts, and this time he applied himself and did so well that in his senior year, he was teaching courses in the philosophy department because he's brilliant. But if you don't apply yourself, it doesn't work as well. And as I said earlier, then there was me. I did okay. But um, I always felt like I didn't measure up. I always felt as if, you know, I'm not Bill. Mom and Dad are nice to me, and they compliment me, but my mom was always trying to spur me on to do better. I told her when I was in high school, Mom, if I make a C, you make me feel that I should have made a B. If I make a B... You tell me I should have made an A. If I make an A, you tell me I should have had an A+. If I get an A+, you tell me I probably should have signed up for a harder course. She said, is that really the way you perceive me? And I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, I'm so sorry. I just want you to do your best. Well, because Bill did so well, that kind of urging from my mom made me feel Like, no matter what I did, it wasn't enough. I want us 
to look at some things God wants us to do. And I want us to aim for the target that God gives us. But it is vital that we not do the things God calls us to in order to try and get him to love us. You have to work from love, from acceptance, from grace. And grace is unearned. You and I cannot earn God's love. We already have it. Just like you can't be forgiven for false guilt. Not because God says, oh, that's unforgivable. But because you're already forgiven. And so the devil will try and slam you with false guilt so that he can make you believe the lie of condemnation, even though God says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But, when you finally believe that, yes, I'm included in the world that God loves. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him would not perish who would have everlasting life. I believe God loves me. We still, if you're like me, have a tendency at times to feel like we just sort of are getting to squeak in because there's a whole mass of people going through the door. Okay? I mean, I, you know, I know, I'm, yeah, I believe I'm going to heaven, but I'm, God's probably going to say, oh yeah, you too. I mean, it's just this sense that Because even though you don't have an older brother named Bill, you do have an older brother, and I have an older brother named Jesus. And Jesus is perfect. My brother Bill was great. He wasn't perfect. He was so great that he sometimes seemed perfect, but he wasn't perfect. As my brother John said about Bill, he can be wearing a three-piece suit and get down on the gravel driveway to check something under the car, and he will get up without a speck of dust on him. And it was true. I mean, he was just absolutely, utterly amazing. Jesus, on the other hand, is not just amazing. He's perfect, truly perfect. He was tempted in all points just as we are, yet without sin. How do you compete with that? You don't. You don't. Well, if he's our elder brother, mustn't God be awfully disappointed in us? I mean, really. I know he loves us. But how could he love us like that? I mean, how could he love us enough to send his son to take our guilt upon himself and take our punishment so that we could be forgiven. On the one hand, that's amazing love. On the other hand, Jesus is the hero and we're the ones who needed rescuing. Well, yeah. So is God looking at us and saying, what a bunch of mess-ups. I want you to look at John 17. There's a whole lot in John 17. But I want us to focus in on one verse that every time I read it blows my mind. John 17, 
We'll start in verse 20, and our focus is going to be in verse 24. This is God's word. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That's actually the verse, verse 23. Verse 24, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Jesus is saying he wants us to be in heaven. Not, okay, well, we'll let him in. We don't want him to go to hell, and, uh, you know, in eternity there are only, only two options, so I guess we'll put him up here at our place. I mean, you know, it's either hell or heaven, so welcome to the Father's house. Don't touch anything. (laughs) Jesus says he wants us to be with him forever. My wife can tell you, I I love exercising hospitality. I love inviting people to the house and having them come to the house. We're looking forward to having you at our house. But I don't want you to stay permanently. Know what I mean? I mean, I love you, but you've got other things to do, and so do I, frankly. So, So it's great to say, welcome, have a wonderful time. If you need to use the restroom, that's the one we want you to use. Okay? Don't just go off on your own wondering how many bathrooms they have in this place. Okay? Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms. I grew up, and I'm going to talk about this at noon, I grew up with the King James, and in my Father's house were many mansions, and I thought I'll finally get to live in a mansion. Well, I will, but it's one big mansion, and you'll be there too if you're a Christian. Because the better translation is the more modern translation that says, in my father's house are many rooms. I was really disappointed when I learned that. I thought I would have a whole mansion. You know, I could invite people over to my mansion. They'd invite me over to their mansion. Occasionally we'd go and visit at the father's house. But no, it's actually much better. Because the father isn't saying you can live on the property. He's saying, I want you right there with me. And why is that? Because, look at verse 23. You've loved them even as you have loved me. God loves you, Christian, the way he loves Jesus. 
Well, I, I, I don't deserve that. Oh, right, right. doesn't say, because they deserve this. It says, because God did this. He loves us. He chose us. He saved us. He wants us with him forever. Well, I, you know, I mean, I'm sure there are people who are more deserving. No, nobody deserves that except Jesus. Jesus says in verse 24, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. So, Jesus was around before the creation of the world. The Son of God has always been the Son of God. He is eternally God the Son. But God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. And that means one of us, a human, was sinless and therefore qualified to take the punishment that we deserve so that all of us who trust in him could not only be forgiven, but what happens when we die, Christians? Glorified. Glorified. We're going to share in the glory. Well, how much do we get? The Bible says joint heirs with Jesus. Joint heirs. I've got seven kids. I've got 12 grandkids. I've made a will. <laughs> uh, is, is there any uh, kind of difference in, in what they get? There was. For a while. When some of them were far from the Lord and would not have been helped by being given an equal share in the inheritance. One of my sons will have access, God willing, to a trust to address his ongoing medical needs. But let me tell you something. My kids are not going to look at my will and say, oh, I knew it, he loved that one more. If you're in the family, you're in the family. Well, aren't there rewards in heaven that will differ according to what we've done? Yes, Jesus taught that. But given the fact that God's riches are absolutely infinite and inexhaustible, if you get to be a joint heir in infinity, that's a really good inheritance. You understand? It's not like, oh, I don't know, I guess I can make that last a billion years. There's no making it last anymore. There, there's no parsing this out and trying to make sure we don't mess up. We will be sinless and we'll be like him. In 1 John it says, behold, what kind of love is this that the Father has lavished on us? That we should be called his children. I'm a child of God. You understand that? I was always very grateful that I had a wonderful, wise, loving, godly father. And mother. But compared to 
God? Being a child of God? Just, I mean, thankfully, the best thing my parents did was to point me to him. Because that's where my security is. That's who I learned to count on. This passage here in John is, is talking about how God loves us and wants us to love one another. And the fact that Jesus tells them, if you need something, you don't have to come to me. You can go straight to the Father in my name. Because the Father loves you. And he loves you because you love me. But you don't have to say, would you please ask your dad? So my younger set of children did with my daughter. Would you, would you go ask dad? They figured she had a better shot at it. She had a little sign her brothers gave her that hung on the bedroom door. And it said, the princess lives here. If the slipper fits, wear it. You know, I love boys too. And it was okay if they asked me. They just knew that unlike their mother who would almost certainly say yes to all the kids about anything and has gotten even worse now with the grandchildren. I mean, if they came and said, uh, Grandmom, would you please cut off your arm and give it to us? She'd say, which one? Okay. But, but the fact is, God... The Father loves you so much that you can come to him with anything. Say, well, I don't know. I missed a quiet time earlier in the week. Well, okay, then he doesn't love you, I guess. Of course he does. He doesn't love you because of what you do. He loves you because of your faith in Jesus. That's the indicator That's the thing that shows those who are his. If you love the Son, you're loved by the Father. If you don't love the Son, you're not. Well, I didn't always love the Son. Yeah, but he loved you, and he changed your heart and took the blinders off your eyes so that now you love the Son. Oh, yes, that's true. I do. I'm very grateful that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins. Sometime I'm so excited about it that I even smile. (laughs) Do you realize what he's done for you? I mean, has it penetrated that we were headed for hell? Not just a bad night. We were headed for hell, and Jesus took the punishment. The wrath of God was poured out on him. And the debt was paid in full. In full. What Jesus suffered was counted by the Father as payment in full. God's not going around saying, well, I'm sorry, but that was not covered. You still owe for this. No. We are not only forgiven, we are cleansed. He's not looking at us in terms of the filth. He's looking at us in terms of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
believe it. Believe it. Believe it. That's not some wishful pop psychology. That's the Word of God. He will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And in that passage that says, what kind of love has the Father lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are? It goes on to say, and it doesn't yet appear what we shall be, but we shall be like him, or we shall see him as he is. We don't even fully appreciate the glory of God at this point in time. Jesus says, I want them to come and see the glory that you gave me before the world began, because you loved me. I want them to see that. When we see that glory, we'll be amazed by him, but we're going to be amazed by us and each other. It's going to be, I didn't know, wow, wow, me too. This is fabulous. Yes, yes it is. And all the things that we are called to in terms of how we're to treat other people and how we're to behave, all of that grows from this. The faith in him and in his grace that transforms us. So we're not trying to earn God's love. Most of you are not married in this room. But I want those of you who are married to think about this, and those of you who are not married to hear it and ponder it. Imagine if no matter what you did to show your spouse that you love them, they responded with, well, thank you, but I just wish I could do something to make you really love me. How would that feel? Look, I love you. I've told you again and again and again and again that I love you, and, and I've done this and this and this to prove my love for you. I know, I know, but I just... I don't deserve your love, and so I just, I wish somehow I could fix myself, and, and then you'd love me. I love you! Oh, it's kind of you to say that, but... Oh, what a drag! If you're married to somebody who refuses to believe that you love them, it is not just the other person who's in pain. God loves you. Repent and believe the good news. The lie that he doesn't goes all the way back to the garden when the serpent said, you will not surely die. God just knows that if you eat that fruit, you'll be like him. God's holding out on you. He doesn't really love you. He's put these rules on you. But he's just trying to prevent you from becoming like him. Jesus died for sinners so that sinners could be transformed to be like him. Do you get it? God's not trying to keep you from becoming like him. God is making you like him. He's changing us from the inside out so that we will share in his glory forever. He wants us at his house forever. Because he loves us. 
He really does. And when we believe that, really embrace that, then it doesn't make us say, well, then I, I must be pretty wonderful. I didn't realize. I always had kind of a low self-image. But, but apparently, God thinks I'm so adorable that um, he, was willing, he was willing to sacrifice his other son, Jesus, just because I'm that great. You don't know him. If you think this is because you're so wonderful, <laughs> you haven't heard the gospel yet. You haven't repented yet. But if you understand that we deserved hell and he's giving us eternal life, abundant life, a life in glory with him, that's like... Let's see, I wish I could come up with some words to express it. How about this? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Where, where does that song come from? It comes from a saved heart. It comes from somebody who understands what they were, and what God did, and that it's all grace. It's all grace. You can't earn it. Quit trying. Thank him for what he has done, and then give him everything. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do it all for the glory of God. Uh, so that he'll love me? No, he loves you because he loves you. Do what you do for him. Because he loves you. Well, I, 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 I know you've said that many times, and I, I, I suppose in one sense it's true, but, you know, I just don't feel worthy. You're not! You don't have to be. You can't be. You can't fix that. Read Galatians. If you're trying to earn it, you're barking up the wrong tree. But if you know you're saved then don't let the devil put you in bondage to his lies that God is somehow standing around waiting to decide about you. I'm just not sure. Well, last week was better, but um, we'll have to see how this week goes. God's already decided. He already loves you. He's already proved it. Trust him. Don't be self-deceived thinking you're wonderful. Be worshipful knowing he's wonderful. He is glorious. And he chose you to be in the family. Once again, songs this morning, perfect. But I'll tell you something. The devil makes it his business to try every day to get us not to believe the gospel. And one of the main things that he uses to uh, lie to us is when things don't go our way. You know, how many of you have certain things you'd like to have happen today? Okay. How many of you take certain things for granted? You just feel confident you're not going to throw up before lunch? Okay, yeah, I mean, you know, 
and, uh, and, and that there will be lunch, okay? There's, there's going to be steak today. Hallelujah. I'll miss it because I am so godly that I'm going to be doing a funeral instead. Don't feel sorry for me. I ate too much at Anakista. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. We assume that this is going to go right, and this is going to go right, and this is going to go right, and this is going to go right. And if something doesn't, we feel like, what did I do? I'm, are you punishing me? Because I didn't get what I wanted. I know what I wanted. I thought you knew what I wanted. I thought I've told you what I wanted, and you didn't give me what I wanted. So what's, what's the deal here? I thought if I do this, and I do this, and I do this, then I get what I want. Is that not the way it works? This is not a transactional relationship where you give me what I want as long as I do what you say? I mean, I want you to remember, and I say this from time to time, Job had never read the book of Job. Okay? <laughs> it hadn't been written yet on earth. It had an eternity, but it had not been written on earth. And when it happened to Job, he couldn't go to the scriptures and say, oh, well, yeah, I read about this. And, and the reason all that stuff was happening to him was because God was mad at him. No. It's because God was displaying his glory through the suffering of a righteous man. Well, I don't, I, don't, I don't much like that, that view of God. What are you going to do about it? Get a transfer to another universe? Okay. I don't like this. Well, you better adjust to reality because you still have to be here and there's no real benefit in being crazy. Okay? So just come to grips with the fact that God is God and that our suffering doesn't have to be eternal. Job ends up being a happy story in the last chapter. Please, I, I don't, I mean, you're making me feel like something bad might happen in my life. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't want to trigger you, but something bad is going to happen in your life, okay? It, it will. One of the McDonald children was riding in the truck with us up the mountain, and he looked over at me and smiled and said, something bad is going to happen to you. Now, he said that because he's heard me talk about the fact that when I was growing up, my brother John and I were amused by the televangelist Oral Roberts from Oklahoma, who had a widely watched television broadcast in which, you know, some good things were said. But his slogan, his tagline um, was, and remember, something good is going to happen to you. And John and I said, someday we're going to do Christian television, and our tagline is going to be, 
And remember, something bad is going to happen to you. Because both are true statements. Okay? I mean, if you're alive on earth, you're going to experience some good things and some bad things. It's just the way it goes. But when the good things happen, most of us sort of feel entitled. You know, well, yeah, I, thank you. Got it. Appreciate that. Glad you noticed. <laughs> and when something bad happens, we're, we're like, what, what, what's going on? Why, why is this happening? Well, that's just silly. Because we don't have to know. We just have to respond rightly. God blesses all of us with everything that we enjoy every day. I want you to take a deep breath. Say, thank you, Lord. I mean, this is TMI, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you anyway. I thank God when I go to the bathroom. Why would you tell us that? Because my guess is most of you don't do that. Are you saying we should? I'm saying as you get older, (laughs) you will appreciate that not everyone gets to go easily. Pastor Rudd, I just can't. I I don't even want to meet your gaze now. No, what I'm saying is we take so much for granted. I'm able to stand here. My son Paul can't. He can't. But he thanks God for the things he can do. And we thank God for the things he can do. But it also taught us to thank God for the things that our other kids could do and that we can do. Does that make sense? So, recognize based on the Word of God and the evidence that surrounds us that God loves us and every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. That's why we thank God every time we eat. It's not because we have OCD. I have OCD, but that's not why I thank God. I thank God because I love to eat. And I know that if it weren't for Him, I wouldn't have food And I wouldn't have a digestive system. Some of you lost your sense of smell and taste during COVID. Did that take any of the pleasure out of eating? Yeah. Since you got your smell and taste back, do you thank God for the fact that you can smell things and taste things? Well, I I did when it first came back. Why don't you keep on thanking him? Oh, so that he'll love me? No, because he loves you, he has blessed you, and he could have made it so that nothing tastes like anything, ever. He could have put us in a beautiful, colorful world and not given us the ability to see color. He could have made it so that everything is monotone. And everyone sounds like the subway in the Atlanta airport. And so, we all greet each other like robots. 
Hello, Mr. Ben, how are you? <laughs> I mean, it could be that way. We wouldn't know. But God has filled this world with beauty. God has filled this world with music, with things to celebrate. He enriches our lives, even the people who don't know him. He blesses us and blesses us. And we need to give him thanks. God loves you. He loves you. He really does. He loves you. And Jesus said, I want them to know that you love them the way you love me. Pray that that'll get rooted deep in your heart. That you won't believe Satan's lies. That you will trust in God's grace. We don't have to earn it. We just need to live a life of gratitude. Live a life of love. You say, well, I don't feel like I'm doing a very good job at that. Well, then tell him. Say, Father, I, I, I don't feel that I show appreciation the way I should, but I want to. I want to be filled with your spirit. I'm a recovering fundamentalist. Eh, not so much fundamentalist. Legalist. Uh, Pharisee. I, I, I really felt like if I worked hard at it and followed the rules, it, it, would, it would make God love me more. Instead, God's been showing me over and over for decades. He already loves me. He already loves me. And he loves you. And so, if God loves me completely on the basis of grace, I suppose I need to love you completely on the basis of God's grace. If I don't have to earn God's love, you don't have to earn mine. And therefore, we are to love one another, even as he has loved us. And that changes everything. We can honestly tell people, I love you, because we do. Does that mean we have to like everybody? Not exactly. I don't know if you've read the paraphrase of John 3.16. It says, for God so liked the world that he said, Cool. Keep it up, boys. I'm glad he didn't. God so loved the world that he gave his son, his only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that through him the world might be saved. What if he had sent his son into the world to show us how it should be done and then say, there, 
it can be done. Now, goodbye. You all go to hell. His perfect life would have condemned us were it not for the fact that he died on the cross taking our punishment. And that's why he came. That's why he came. He came not risking rejection. He came having already spoken through the prophets of old about the fact that he would be the sacrifice. He came to die because he loves you. He already loved you before you were born. He already loved you before he made the world. Repent and believe the good news. Father, we thank you for loving us so magnificently, so lavishly. Please continue to help us to turn away from the lie of the adversary who impugns your character by making it seem as if your grace depends on our character. Thank you for choosing to love us. And not only loving us, but therefore saving us. Not only forgiving us, but transforming us. And one day, we will be like you when we see you face to face. Thank you so much, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.